When I was growing up, there was always one question that baffled me. What do you want to be when you grow up? Have any of you ever heard that question? Maybe some of you are of the blessed few among us that you have known that you want to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or even a missionary from the time you were a kid. I was not one of those privileged few. Most of us probably were not as well. In fact, when I was around 14, I had a bit of a crisis. I remember laying in my bed thinking, sure, it seems like everybody knows what they want to be when they grow up. I'm 14, and I still don't. I actually couldn't picture myself doing anything for the rest of my life. So I concluded that it must mean that I won't live long enough. So I thought, surely by the age of 22, I will not live, I will be dead, um, and that must be God's plan for my life. Um, By His grace, that was wrong, though I did almost die at 22, that's another story, but God had purposes for me that I was not aware of at 14. I had to grow into understanding those purposes. Most of us are faced with the question, why am I here? Just as we wonder, what do I want to be when I grow up? As we grow, we know that there must be something greater than just a a job that we take on, an identity that can easily form around us as a, a mother or a father or as a husband or as a wife or as a fill in the blank for our profession begin to wonder, why am I here? Sometimes this faces us later in life. It could be after a sudden job loss, maybe when the kids have left home, maybe when retirement becomes a reality. The question can be forced upon us when our lives get turned upside down. When we lose the thing that's defined us or given us purpose throughout our lives, again, we wonder, is there more? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Yet for the people of God, there is a very clear and greater purpose for every one of us. Something greater that we are called to regardless of life's circumstances, regardless of our jobs, professions, or any other things. Because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he actually makes known to us a whole new purpose, a whole new life trajectory a whole new mission that we exist to be a part of because the very core of our identity is not found in a job or being married or having children or anything else. Our identity is found in being in Christ and made a part of His people. Everything flows out of that greater reality. And if we miss that as our starting point in Christ and a part of his people, then we will never end in the right direction. We will actually never get the answer to the question that we long for. We will find ourselves grasping at what does not actually provide the greater answers that we seek. Over the past few weeks, we've labored to explore what it means to be a part of the church What does it mean to be a part of this redeemed people? Saints 
who have received the grace of God and who bask in delight in the truth of God declared to us in the gospel. We've seen that we are made a new family. In fact, we are a gospel-formed family that God has provided for us to be nurtured in and built up among one another, a place to experience genuine relationship in the midst of the rub of genuine relationship and the hardships that we face with the true brothers and sisters of Christ in one another in this redeemed family. And that by that grace flowing to us and through us, that there is then healing from the brokenness of family that many of us have faced and come out of. We've seen that we are also a bride awaiting a groom. We are a people in love with our Savior. We are a body dependent on each other, gifted uniquely for building one another up, for exercising ministry together. We're a family devoted to prayer because we know that without Him, we can do nothing. And we are a worshiping body, living lives of worship and encouraging one another as we grow in Christ together. We need each other. And if you've missed any of these sermons, please go back. You can find them on the web. They're worth listening to. Because this is the foundation on which we will build. Being in Christ and being a part of the body is the foundation for our lives. And yet so many of us miss that foundation. We want to be a body that will press farther in and go deeper up in these truths. And the truth is, is that we could just stop here, right? We could do no more sermons on the calling of the church because that's enough. That's full time. That's hard work. Family, prayerful, worshiping, body. Think about it. And if we work hard to live out these truths together as a body, if we just camp here, Over the next year, this would be a really sweet place to come and be a part of, wouldn't it? You long for that? A place where you can grow in genuine relationship with one another, nurtured and built up, true family? That would be awesome. But we would also be in great danger. Can you guess what we would be in danger of? We would be in danger of being an inward-focused ingrown family or people. Perhaps you could word it better. We would be a church living as an introverted body, trapped in our own sphere of relationships, or perhaps even in pursuing the idolatry of our perfect community who has it all right, or at least better than others. And that's a scary and common reality. Yes, there is much that we have learned over these weeks together that should shape our lives as we gather here as family. Remember, this is home. This is Risen King family, right? We want to see these things shape us as we profess Christ in our homes because Jesus has called and equipped His church not to be an inward-focused people, We are called to care and love and serve and grow together, but we are called to be an outward-oriented body. And those things are not opposed to one another. They actually work and flow together. They are necessary to be a healthy body. 
You could say that as a church, just as we are called to be family, we are also called to be a family on mission together or a missional community, if you will. And this leads into the question that we want to ask today, because if we are to be an outward oriented missional people, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as a body? What is the mission of the church? In the communities in which we live, in the world in which we live, what is our purpose? Regardless of life's circumstances, regardless of where you find yourself, what are we all called to together as a body? Let's pray as we delve into this a little bit this morning. Lord, already, that was a a great fire hydrant of truth. The realities of what you've called us to and gifted us with as your being in your church. And we do want to live faithfully as family. We do want to be a healthy body, a bride in love with our groom and awaiting your return. We want to be prayerful together, need each other. We want, Lord, to be worshipers, true worshipers. And Lord, there's a reality that we beg you to meet us in. Because as much as we long for these things, we too easily get our eyes on ourselves. We get fixated on, on us. And we need you, Lord, to open our eyes beyond these walls, right? Beyond one another. Though we need you to dig us deeper into each other. But Lord, would you give us a vision of your mission that you have called us to, both as family and as those who are living being a part of your kingdom work in this world. Lord, would you open our eyes to your truth today? Would you wash us in your word? May we behold Christ and be changed by you. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. For much of history, really even 50, 100 years ago in this country, uh, it wasn't quite so difficult to determine your future or your purpose. Uh, Families worked together, right, to provide for their needs, to have enough for themselves and to share with others. The family business, right, every family had a family business, and that was to generate income to care for their own needs, as well as to care for the needs of others, to have enough to share out. In fact, most families would know farming, to one degree or another, would know uh, animal husbandry, right? How to care for animals, uh, baking, sewing, carpentry maybe, and any number of skills that would be learned and passed on through family units. It's the same throughout uh, the villages of Africa. You can find that is common in life. Uh, Our daughters and, and the sons and daughters that we got to do life with for many years in Uganda, they all know how to dig. In fact, we have many kids tell us, thank you for making us work very hard. We didn't like it when we were children, but now we know that no matter what happens in life, we can provide for our families, all right? Because we have a skill. We're confident that we can dig and we can grow food. We can take care of chickens and goats and, and cows and go on and on. Family business to survive together and care for one another. It's the same in the ancient world. Remember some of the early disciples, they were fishermen because their fathers were, can you guess, 
fisherman, you passed on the family business and the skills that you had. In fact, Jesus most likely was a carpenter because he was the son of a carpenter, right? He would have had those, those skills. In fact, his brothers and really the community at large would have expected him to carry on the family business. But when Jesus came, amazingly, he was trained in a different family business. Even if his earthly family thought he was crazy, because Jesus was trained in a family business that was defined not by his earthly father, but was actually defined by his true father, God. Because the father sent the son on a very clear mission. And we will see that our purpose and our mission is tied directly into his purpose and his mission. So we want to spend time just thinking about that together. The Gospels make this easy for us as readers to discover. right? It's as, it's as simple as hearing Jesus say, for the Son of Man came to... Kids, you got it? Seek and to save the lost. It's that simple. Or one that's not as well-known, one of my favorites from John 12, for this purpose I've come to this hour, or coming to his death. Uh, For this purpose, this is why I came. Father, glorify your name. Because Jesus was motivated by the central desire to glorify his Father, right? To do the will of his Father and to make his Father known in the seeking and the saving of the lost and seeing those flow together. And we could summarize in many different ways, one could say that, that Jesus came to reveal and to fulfill. And that would be accurate. And he does this through both declaring and through demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God. Because there was something greater than the world that people saw with their physical eyes. As people go through lives thinking about what we need to do and caught in the day-to-day living. That is what is natural. But Jesus comes in the reality of something greater because there is a kingdom that has come in the person of Jesus. There is something that he has inaugurated in the reality of the physical world that is much greater if you have eyes to see. You can hear Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Right? In fact, if you're not born of the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. There is a reality, there is something greater than what you naturally see and are naturally living and laboring towards. And Jesus comes and he reveals and declares the reality of this kingdom and he demonstrates it. And all of that leading and culminating to his death, resurrection, and ascension. So Jesus' mission His purpose sent by the Father to declare and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. The glory of His Father ultimately was a mission in word and in deed. We could summarize it that way. That is the family business. It's, It's word and deed. Lived in dependence on His Father. Led by the Holy Spirit. And we can just briefly look at this and think about it together. Right? Because in God's word, as we see, we see Jesus speaking the word of God. 
We see him teaching the truths of God fulfilled in himself to all kinds of people in all kinds of contexts. He speaks truth and points people to their greater needs, away from what they see into the deeper, greater realities. He calls people away from ordinary life and into extraordinary life. He transforms the ordinary, making the ordinary extraordinary. He rebukes false teachers. He leads others in prayer and worship of his Father. And all that he did, he did it in dependence on the Father as he taught and as he spoke. Listen to what John records in John 7, verse 16. He says, My teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. Do you see the mission language there? The Father sends the Son, and the teaching of the Son isn't his own. It's the Father's teaching. John 12, verse 50 puts it this way. He says, The Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so God the Father gave the Son words to speak. So all that Jesus said was in dependence on his Father. He spoke in word in full dependence on his Father. So we see this reality in, in word, but we also see it in deed, in his actions. We, we watch it as Jesus touches the untouchable, as he heals the sick, as he demonstrates authority over the demonic realm, as he frees people from satanic bondage, and as he frees people from bondage to lies and deceit and fear, as he has compassion on the lost, he demonstrates the reality of the reign of God in the midst of this broken world. And even as he did these things, he did them in dependence on his Father. Listen to John 5, 19. This is what it says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Can you imagine living your life completely dependent on the Father for what you say and what you do? Can you imagine? How much of our lives are we aware? Oh, that's... I muffed that up, (laughs) should have said it that way, should have done different, oh, inaction, I should have done something there, oh, why did I do that? How much of our lives are we questioning, right, our words and our deeds, feeling like we're consistently uh, getting it wrong, And, and yet Jesus comes and he never gets it wrong because he speaks perfectly dependent on the Father and he does in perfect dependence on the Father, And beautifully, Jesus displays the life led by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus' mission to make the Father known and to do the deeds of the Father was a mission that was empowered in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And as we read the Gospels, we see a thousand God-ordained circumstances that sure seem random to us. But they were always orchestrated by His Father. Whether it's the Spirit as Mark says, 
driving Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan, right? Matthew is led of the Spirit into the wilderness. As we watch Jesus go on a journey, and it's like, emergency, emergency, right? Um, that, was that supposed to happen? Of course it was supposed to happen. Everything that Jesus does, everything that he engages in is of his Father and from his Father. He gets out of a boat, and there's a demon-possessed man, right? He goes to be alone to pray. There's people that show up, right? Whatever happens, he goes to a, to a, a place, to a pool where there's a man that he is going to heal, and he's stepping over people to get to that guy, right? Because he has a purpose for that guy that the Father has led him on. His actions and his words led of the Father and led of the Spirit because Jesus was on a mission, his mission was local, it involved the people around him, but it was also a mission that was global. It was beyond even what he was laboring in. And though Jesus himself didn't go outside of Israel, God brought Canaanites and Romans and all kinds of peoples to him. But he knew that his mission first was to the lost sheep of Israel. But he always had his eye on the global mission. He was aware of it. Right? Even as he lived life here, he was aware there's something bigger. There's something greater that he's a part of. That, of course, he's a part of. Because from the beginning, God's mission has been global. I love John 10 when Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd. He says, yes, I've come uh, for this, uh, to the sheep, but I've come to gather those who are not of this fold in John chapter 10. And then you read over in John 11, where John makes it clear that Jesus wouldn't die for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God spread abroad. Right? There's this reality that, that Jesus is walking in, that he is going to gather a people, a bride from among all tribes and all nations. What a mission! As he lived his little life, was it a little life? saying that strategically because every one of us seated here sure feel like our life is just a little life. But God had purpose. Obviously, we see it in the life of Jesus. And he would accomplish his mission because his mission was the greatest mission of all time. It would lead him to offering up his life as the sacrifice for the people of the world, for those that he had come to save. He was the good shepherd who did lay down his life. He did die as a sacrifice for sin and for sinners, taking on himself the Father's wrath for sin, defeating sin, death, and Satan. And he would rise again in victory. And we could bask in these truths of the victory of Jesus as he completes his mission in his death and resurrection, in fact, many of us, we say, yes, like that is the end, right? We could say, hallelujah, the mission is over. It's won. And now uh, the gospel is going forth. Victory complete. He fulfilled it. I can't wait for that new earth, right? But Jesus doesn't allow this because the mission of Jesus becomes the mission of his church. And if you're wondering, why did I spend that time sort of walking through the reality of Jesus and it's because the foundations of, of the mission that he shows become the foundations of the mission that he actually calls us to. Because the mission of Jesus 
becomes the mission of his church. We begin to see it in Luke chapter 10. Why don't you turn there with me? Open your copy of God's Word to Luke 10. Topical sermons like this are difficult, right? We want to just be in a text and swim in a text and, and just drink in it, right? We, that's, that's the preaching that we love and cherish here. We're going to get back into Genesis soon. Um, but this is still important for us to think through and be stirred by the reality of some of these, these, these topics, especially for the life of our local church. We begin to see in, in Luke 10 the mission beyond the scope of Jesus, but the mission connected into his mission, right? Because in, John, in Luke 10, it says, after this, the Lord appointed, my, my version says 72 others. And there, there's a little bit of a textual issue there. Is it 70? Is it 72? Um, ultimately, the Lord knows. Okay, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And one of the things I love about this passage is that it's not the 12, right? Like, it makes sense, send the 12, right? Because he does. But who are these 70? They're not named. They're just 70, all right? And we know from the book of Acts, when they're choosing a replacement for Matthias, that they chose among disciples who had been with Jesus from the beginning. And so we know that there were a much larger group than the 12, that were with him, that were listening to his words and that were watching what he was doing. They were hearing his words, watching his deeds. All right, they knew, they believed this, this is the Messiah. And this 70 as they followed him, of course, it's more than 70, but he takes this 70 and he appoints them. And look what he says to them in verse two. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, right? Go, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. <coughs> Excuse me. This is loaded. We could preach five messages out of this passage. There's a few things that stand out, that strike me as, as I read through this and as we think about it in the context of mission. Do you see the reality that wherever they went, there was a kingdom presence with them, right? Even if they weren't aware of it, they carried it. Enough where they could display, they could declare and display the realities of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Look at how, what Jesus says in, in verse three. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs 
in the midst of wolves. When is that ever okay? To put a lamb out in the midst of wolves. That's crazy. It's radical. But it's also glorious and beautiful. What would make it glorious and beautiful? Why would Jesus confidently say, I'm sending you out, right? As lambs in the midst of wolves. Because what reality did they carry with them? There was a kingdom reality that they carried because Jesus has all authority. He's already demonstrated it. They've seen it and they've heard it. Now they can walk confidently before all that they encounter, recognizing that Jesus has the authority over the wolves that they will encounter. Jesus rules all things in heaven and on earth. And so they could go and they could proclaim And they could show the truths of God's kingdom, even as a testimony. What a way to prepare people for Jesus' coming. (laughs) We see this again in Matthew 28, when Jesus declares that He, the resurrected Christ, has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, he says to them, go therefore, right? Or as you're going, make disciples. Sort of that same language. And who are you going to make disciples of? All peoples, all ethnos, all nations, all tribes, all peoples around you, where you go, the nations of the world, the nations of hurricane, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' authority over all things comes with a promised presence that Jesus is with his people wherever they go. I need to consistently hear that truth. Feel free to wash me with that reality daily. Hey, Keith, don't forget, he is with you wherever you go. Because we are a people also sent on mission. The realities of Matthew 28, the realities of Luke 10, they come to us as Jesus sends his people out. And we see it again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where they are to witness to the ends of the earth, right? And then he pours out the greatest gift you could ever receive in Christ, the gift of his Spirit to his people, his abiding presence with us. We see then through the book of Acts an amazing pattern develop as the gospel advances through a church who goes out, through a church who suffers. And even when the church tries to squeeze in a little bit and and get a little little more self-focused, he will move them out. And that's what he does. They will face suffering, they will face persecution, but they can go out confidently because He is with them and He is bringing a kingdom that is greater than what they can see and understand with their own hearts and minds. And we see that pattern then becoming the truth of what we are also given because we are called into the family business. Did you know that? You and me, we're a part of a family business. And it's a family business 
that is the business of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and their work in the world today. And he called the disciples away from a world that was centered on themselves and their own personal gain and their own family business into a greater family business. And at the heart of that family business is one word. It's people. The heart of the family business is people. Do you remember when Jesus encountered Peter and Andrew and James and John? They were fishermen, right? The family business. What did he say to them? Come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. All right, here's your family business. There's a greater family business. It didn't mean they were never to fish again. All right, fish, catch fish for the glory of God. But you're a part of a greater family business. You remember at the end when Peter denied Jesus three times? Sure seems like a failure in the family business, right? And he's out fishing. And Jesus comes to him. What does Jesus say to him? What's that question that Jesus asks Peter on the shore? Peter, yeah, you've fallen short. Yeah, right, you've you failed. You've denied me. Yeah, that, that's, 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 he knows that. But Jesus just asks one question. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. All right, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. All right, you see three, three denials, three professions. Lord, I love you. Then get about the family business because the family business is people. It's engaging people with the truth of the gospel that we profess, not as those who do it perfectly, but as those who fail and stumble and struggle. And we get to hear that precious question. But do you love me? And the answer is everything. Because if the answer is no, no, then I'm left with living for my kingdom and my family business, right? Like that's what I'm left with. I'm going to labor, I'm going to spend my life, and I'm going to die. But to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I love you. And it's beautiful. And come on, engage in the family business. We are making, making disciples of nations. We are reaching out and seeing the kingdom of God brought in the lives of people in word and in deed. And that is the heart of being a disciple. Cultivated, deepened together, pursued together. Lord, we love you. And that's what we do when we come into this place. As we function in family, as we function as home in the body here, we stir one another. Lord, we love you. And we want to take that and press it out. And we want to love people because we are called into a family business. John 20 verse 21 is a shocking statement. Just let these words hit. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, peace, this is after he rose, right? He died and he rose. He says to the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Do you understand how radical that statement was and is? 
in light of all that we've heard of Jesus' mission, think about as the Father sent Jesus, okay, all, all that we talked about, Jesus comes and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Church, we have a mission. We have been sent, you and me. Four years ago, it would have been easy for me to preach a sermon or a message on the church on mission. I probably would have just chosen uh, Matthew 28 and talked about being a people who, who are living outside ourselves and engaging the nations for the glory of Christ. That would have been easy. Let's go. Let's do it, right? Um, because I had the privilege of living, quote, on mission. Imagine waking up every day knowing that here I am and my very being here is on mission. My living and loving a people and a culture, that's mission. That's why I'm here, right? Engaging with the gospel, engaging people's lives, loving people, loving the church, seeing the church is built up, longing to see the church is healthy. That's easy. That was glorious. That was hard. Right? But saturated in the reality of mission. It would have been easy for me to stand here four years ago and saturated in that reality and said, come on, people. Right? Come on. Let's do mission. What's wrong? What's wrong with us? We're missing so much. But when God sent us back here, I was put into a place wondering, okay, so who am I here? Where do I fit here? What is my clear purpose here? What is the mission that I am laboring towards, especially in a culture that keeps us running constantly and distracted by so much stuff? I miss waking up in a Ugandan context. But what's the truth? My mission and your mission, my purpose, and your purpose is not dependent on a culture or a people or a job or our children or our age. It's not. It's greater than this. And it begins with one question, do you love me? It begins with a second question, do you love people? Because those have to go together. Do I love God and do I love others truly? Because if I get a hold of that, then the truth is the mission doesn't change. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you're engaging in the family business. Do you love those around you? Do you love the unlovable? Do you believe that the kingdom of God is going forth do you believe that Jesus transforms lives? Do you believe that he's the treasure worth selling everything for? Do you believe to walk in surrender of all that you want to cling to for your identity and purpose and say, actually, I want to lay these down. I want to be spent for the truth of this kingdom. Because the truth for all of us is that as the Father has sent the Son, so has Jesus sent you. And that's radical. But it should give us eyes through which to view the world that we wake up in. Whether it's 
Belize or Uganda or Hurricane or St. Albans or Barbersville as the Father has sent Jesus, so has He sent us. should give us eyes to see like Samiko at Walmart, somebody buying a turkey, engaging in a conversation. Sorry, Samiko. Um, God's grace to you, right? You just stumbled on that. Did you spend 12 hours in prayer before that occurrence? No. You're just there, spirit-led, spirit-appointed, speaking to so-and-so at the coffee shop, living our lives, asking God to open our eyes to what is around us, to see Him at work. And it should make us wonder as well, because if there's no one that I can consciously say that I am pursuing in relationship, right? Seeking to love or to know, no one that I'm praying for opportunities to share in word and in deed, then I have to wonder, am I living in the truth of the calling to which I have been called? Or am I spinning myself in the distractions of the age? And I have to ask myself that, and you should ask yourself that. As we wind up, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, because I think this is a a helpful passage for us as a people called to be on mission together. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It's awesome because you and I have been entrusted with a message. We are a part of God's work in the world. We are agents of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. I can hear the Ugandan song. I know. We are, can you sing it, Ellie? It's like, we are ambassadors. And we've been given a message. We make an appeal and somehow, by God's grace, Through us, imperfect vessels, through the work of His Spirit, God makes the appeal through us somehow. What a mystery. So if I'm engaging in friendship evangelism without actually talking about Jesus or sin or judgment or salvation, am I really walking on mission? Or or if I only confront people with the truths of God's law, right? Uh, Equally offending, just offending and just hitting people with those truths. And by the way, 
I've had friends over the years, typically that, that style, you think of yourself more like an Old Testament prophet. Um, but I have to say, when I walk away, does this person know they've been loved by me? Have I served them? Have I loved them? Have I sought to know them? Has God made an appeal to that person through me? That's a good test for us as a people on mission. My goal here isn't to guilt trip us. It's to stir us to think about these things together. Because in your presence, Christ in you, by his spirit, where you go, the kingdom of God has come near to people. We live in that reality. He is with us. And he is at work in this world that he's placed us in. And the reality is that we need God's Spirit to empower us to live as a person on mission. Acts 4.31 says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Did you hear that? When they had what? Prayed. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. When they were prayed, they were filled with God's Spirit. When they had prayed and filled with God's Spirit, they did what? They spoke with boldness. And there's something incredible about that. I wonder what that would look like for us if we really understood and knew the truths of what each other were engaged in. And we prayed together for the opportunities to pray into people's lives, to speak into people's lives, or to do into people's lives with courage and boldness. What would we watch God do in our midst when they had prayed? It's part of why we're doing member highlights together because we want to just hear the realities because each of you are engaged in people's lives and God is at work in ways in this body that we will miss if we come, sing, listen, and go. We actually miss part of the privilege of being body and family together. I want to know how I can pray for Mike in the prisons, right? Like that's a huge opportunity. I want to know that. I want to know how I can pray for Nate at Toyota because he's in a, or Noah at Toyota, right? Because God has placed them in, in a situation where they can be salt and light in the lives of others. And we go on from there. We want to get into each other's lives and ask those questions and pray for each other to engage on mission. Because if not, we will just get caught living life, growing old together, but missing the transforming work of God at work in us and through us. We have a responsibility in word and a responsibility in deed. So we come to a close. I want us to truly evaluate ourselves and just ask some questions. if we've been called to make disciples, if we've been called to be a people on mission, a church on mission, it begins with really just a basic question. Am I a disciple? Am I walking as one who has surrendered all things to Jesus, whose life is being confronted by Jesus, shaped and formed by him through his spirit and his word? Am I truly a disciple? In fact, when you read the gospels, they were actually written Because the early church took Matthew 28 as what it says. Teach, 
people to obey all I've commanded you, right? The greater Moses, the greater all the stories of the Old Testament, right? All the greater everything, God in the flesh has come and he has taught his people a greater law. He's given us life. He's shown us what it means to live. And he has said, observe everything I've commanded you. Teach others. Make disciples as you're being discipled. We have to know the words of Christ. And so as you read the Gospels, they were actually structured in ways for easy memorization. You'll find blocks of stories in threes. You'll find teachings in sections, right? Like it's structured for us to come and read as a disciple, following along the life of the disciples, seeing it in our own lives, and submitting ourselves to the one who is Lord of all. And you find the epistles and all the things being written really shining back on those truths. How do these truths shape the church? How do these truths shape the lives that we live in? Are you a disciple? Are we pushing one another in the truths of God's word together? Do we love God's word together? Who's discipling you? Are you being discipled by someone in this local church? Have you said, come and walk. I want to walk alongside of you or come and walk alongside of me, right? Who, 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 who's, who are you being discipled by? And who are you discipling? Who have you invited to walk alongside of you? To say, let's listen and learn and to obey Jesus together. Let me show you. There is much wisdom in this place to be gleaned for all of our young people and old people alike, right? So are you being discipled? Who are you discipling? That's important for us as a body. If we're gonna be on mission together. Am I actively praying for brothers and sisters here in Risen King? Actively. What does that look like? It means I have to be intentional. I have to fight for it. I've got to put names on note cards. I've got to put it on a board. I've got, I've got to put it in my Bible. Like I need that to engage in prayer on behalf of the brothers and the sisters. That's a part of it because it's recognizing that you are on mission and I get to be a part of you. One of the beautiful things about being in Uganda was we got to, to, uh, to be a part of hundreds of people praying for us on mission, right? And so they were engaged in our work in Uganda through prayer and how easy it is to forget the beauty of engaging in each other's missions through prayer. I want to be that passionate. We want to pray for one another because you are on mission, brothers and sisters. You've been called and you're being equipped. Are you praying for the brothers and sisters here? Are you sharing with others how they can pray for you? Parents, have we pushed our children with a vision of the kingdom of God and mission, local mission, global mission? Have we pushed our children to live outside of themselves with that global reality? Have we pushed our children to live lives, to sow gospel seeds in fields of rejection, knowing that the Spirit is at work and is transforming lives, and the kingdom is going forth through little simple lives like you and me? Have we envisioned our children to be passionate for sacrifice in the world and equipped them to face persecution and opposition? Or are we pushing them to pursue what is comfortable and what is safe? It was hard for my wife's parents to bless us 
but easy for them to bless us. Easy because they envisioned for their daughter, they envisioned and prayed for their kids to be sent out and to go, even as they cried, knowing we will miss the years of our grandkids. But it's the right sacrifice because we are a part of a greater family and we are laboring under something greater. Or do we envision our world's Growing, oh, it's already easy for me as a parent. I just want my kids to live all around me, have all the grandbabies close by. I mean, I'm already thinking that way, right? I don't even have a kid married. Um, it's easy. But the, the reality of the calling of mission pushes me beyond that. I don't want that. It would be great. Well, hopefully at least one will stay nearby. But, but Lord, I want to surrender and I want my kids to live with a vision of the kingdom that will push them. And I want to hold them with open hands and I want them to see the treasure of Christ. Even if it means giving their lives in Sudan or Uganda or Belize or Charleston, West Virginia, wherever. I want to live and envision them for that. In fact, you can tell a lot about a church based upon the passions and pursuits of its younger generation. What are our young people most excited about? What are they passionate about when they get together? Is it, is it the mark of a people on mission? It's not. Then we should ask question, why? What do we need to change in our own hearts and lives and families as a people? What are we missing? Because there is something greater we have been called to be a part of. And I promise, as you're a part of it, you'll never regret it. The, I love the missionaries in their 20s and young 20s, just passionate for the nations. I feel like some of the most alive Christians I've ever met, I've met overseas. But they're not the only ones, because they're also here. Alive in Christ and alive in his mission. Because the very core of our identity and purpose is not found in a job or being married or having kids or anything else. Our identity and purpose is found by being in Christ and a part of his people living on mission together, dependent on Christ and lived, led by his spirit. So what's the mission of the church? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? through loving Christ, loving people, a people who function as adopted family together, sent out to make disciples. May we pursue the glorious vision of mission together in these days to come. Let's pray. Lord, I I just right away pray God, that you would stir each of us in the truths of what you have called us to. Um, House moms are on mission beautifully. Um, Toyota workers on mission. Uh, Window washers on mission. Uh, Retirees on mission. Teachers on mission. We walk through it, Lord. May we be a people that are passionate for living out the mission of your kingdom, wherever we are, wherever we go. May we be a people committed to surrender and who are in love with the treasure of Christ, who are willing to go, willing to stay, willing to send, willing to be sent. Lord, would you give us vision 
for your work in the world and your work in Walmart and your work around us? Would you give us vision for your work in the families that are right here? Because we need you, Lord. We need you to build us as a healthy family together. And we know that's hard work. Would you work in our midst and truly make us a loving family, serving one another, and living out this gospel that you've entrusted us with? Thank you for the table that we get to come to as well, just to celebrate the very foundation of mission, right? That your death and your resurrection, your ascension, that it is sufficient for all things. You are Lord. You are our Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. As we are on mission together, we have the opportunity as the body of Christ here to participate and, and partake of the Lord's table, a sacrament that we have. We will do it together. Uh, it is something that we, uh, we, if you're a member of the church, you know how we do it. But if you're not, um, if you're a believer in Christ, trusting in him alone for salvation, we encourage you and, and ask you to participate. If you're not, we'd ask you just to remain in your seats and, uh, and observe and consider what the calling is for Christ in your life. We will partake, uh, uh, the, the deacons will dismiss the, the rows individually, we'll partake, um, we'll take, our, take the elements, return to your seat, and we'll partake together at the end. <laughs>